Corinthians chapter 8, God willing, we will finish this chapter this morning, and some of you are already yawning, saying, yeah, right, Pastor. <laughs> I think I've said that about eight times in chapter 8, that we would finish a portion of chapter 8. I think six out of those eight times that hasn't happened. But I will tell you, we need to finish this chapter today. A number of you are saying, Pastor Tim, you're going slower than normal through this passage. And you know who you are? And I appreciate you. I am. What you've realized is absolutely true. And I'm going slower because, quite frankly, I'm learning this passage or these two chapters in a way that I've never understood them before. So if I'm going slow, it's not because I think you need me to go slow. I think I need to go slow. Because I've always understood these two passages as being directly related to you sharing with your local church, Grace Church of Mentor. And that's not what they're about. So I've completely had to unearth everything I've always heard, believed, taught about this passage. It, none of this passage has a primary application to you sharing to Grace Church of Mentor unto gospel purposes. And what we learned the last several weeks, there really is not many at all applications in the New Testament to Christians sharing with their local church. So we got to ask ourselves the question, why? Because that's just what spirit-filled people do. You have to remember, the authors of Scripture are writing to saved people. The authors of Scripture know they're inspired and they're writing the Word of God to saved people. So the assumption is they're saved. The assumption is that they're going to grow by the hearing of God's Word and then they're going to do. Amen. Is that simple? As a matter of fact, the church of Corinth was the only church that really, and that was the first letter, not the second letter, was more prescriptive in nature because of the, the issues, the serious issues that they had involved themselves with. But every other church that was written to, the assumption was they're saved and they're going to hear this, they're going to grow, they're going to do it so that we can keep ourselves focused on mission. Focused on mission. We've gone through over 20 Bible texts together that teach us how to, inside a local church, disperse funds to care for souls. But we've not found one verse in the New Testament that coerced, chided, strong-armed any believer in any local church to give. That's just because what they do. Now you say, well, I don't do that. I want to let you know that's puzzling to me. <laughs> I don't share the resources that are God's to Grace Church of Mentor for gospel purposes. And that could be a number of reasons why. Um, maybe it puzzles me because you don't know how. Or maybe you don't know why. I don't know. Uh, we can teach you. Um, the person that you're discipling with will certainly walk you through a chapter in a number of resources, chapters in a number of resources that discuss why a believer does that and unto what purpose. But if you've been around church for a long time and you know that this is what we do, there could be a lot of reasons why you don't. We've gone over a couple of those reasons. It could be because of a church you came from before, maybe churches that you've 
come from, where the leadership of those churches has um, done inappropriate things with the resources that were given to the church. They've gotten off mission, if you will. Uh, maybe, maybe you just don't trust leadership anymore. And quite frankly, um, I've never grown up in a church like that, so I don't know how you're feeling. But I've talked to a lot of people who have, and I'm trying to understand. I pray God's grace mends your heart and gets you back to the place where you can trust leadership. But we know that that trust can't be demanded. It must be earned. Amen. And that takes time. There may be a portion of those that don't share just because you've chosen not to share. You've not been hurt. You have been taught. And you feel that all that you have has been earned by you instead of granted to you by God. Maybe you're more of a self-made Christian living the American dream. And if you're prompted by whatever force to share with the local church, then you will. And if you're not, then you won't. Maybe that third description of a person maybe puzzles me more than the previous two. And, and you certainly would be a person that doesn't understand 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. You are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are his. Saved, spirit-filled people just share to God's church and God's mission all that is God's. Amen. If you're going to get on TV and watch TV preachers or televangelists and try to figure out what biblical giving is, you're going to the wrong place. You're listening and watching the wrong people. Okay. Most, if not all, would be off mission. This morning, we're going to examine four people at the end of chapter 8 that the Holy Spirit wants us to know and understand their example of sharing resources unto gospel mission. Remember, this portion of chapter 8 is about integrity. It's about the character of those who share. We've highlighted some character points, but for these few verses, Paul just stops. I'm going to point out four. He discusses three, and two of them are left unnamed, and we're going to explain why. Just to solidify back to you that, that there are churches that have existed in history, and they do exist now, where there are leaders among those churches that are known among those churches that have integrity, that are able to stay on mission in relationship to applying resources to mission. And I think the Holy Spirit leaves us the legacy of these men for the purpose of understanding that God's grace always leaves a legacy of people who are examples to the flock and what it means to share because they're able to stay on mission. 
So every, every person that's caused distrust in your heart, God supplied many more who you can trust because they're on mission. We're going to go through uh, these folks this morning and we're going to discuss them as thoroughly as possible. It is difficult uh, when we were going through uh, seminary and we were taught how to do character studies and to preach character studies. Uh, we were never taught um, how to do um, four characters in one sermon. We were taught how to do one character in one sermon. So we're going to do everything we can to get through the, the description and the character and the integrity of these men who were representatives of the churches of Macedonia who were uh, working with Paul and Titus going around the region collecting these resources for the church at Jerusalem. God's grace always supplies the, the leaders of integrity. Always. They're there to be found. Don't check out of sharing because of those who bring the black eye. By God's grace, be compelled to find the ones of integrity. And what you'll find about these ones of integrity is that they desire to be fully known by those that God's appointed them to be an example to. Leaders of integrity really love transparency. They want to be known and they want to know people. We're going to see that truth as well as we describe these men's lives. We know that transparency was a key factor of these men, especially two of the four that we know came, we believe, from the Macedonian churches because of the example of First Thessalonians, the Thessalonican church. Go with me to First Thessalonians chapter 5 very quickly. Remember, we said we know of at least three churches that were part of this Macedonian group of churches that were example churches in the sharing And those churches were Berea, Thessalonica, Philippi, right? But we know that transparency, shared transparency among the leaders of the Thessalonian church was clear in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 12 because of what Paul had encouraged them to continue to do. He said, but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work, live in peace with one another. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Those of you that have heard me teach on this text before, I really believe verses 12 to 22 is in a context of corporate worship. These are people that know each other well, from the leaders to the people, to the sheep, from the shepherds to the sheep. And the full transparency is, is described here. 
sheep know the leaders for their work's sake, and the leaders develop the sheep to function like he he exhorts them to here in verse 14. People are going to be people. But grace compels us to address our vices and to polish our virtues. That's just what grace does. That's what help from heaven does after we're saved. It develops us. And here is is a lot of transparency. It's an encouraged transparency. Paul led in that example. If you go back to chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, he led in that transparency himself. He came to them. Remember the story in Acts 17 when he first came to the Thessalonian church and he preached the gospel there and folks were saved. And he said immediately there in verse 6 of chapter 1, you became imitators of us and of the Lord having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became examples to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. You can't get more transparent than the word mimic. You can't mimic someone until you fully know somebody. And then you can't be an example until you're fully known and you fully know. These men, as you go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, two of them envoys from these Macedonian churches. They could have been from the church of Thessalonica. We don't know. But we know from the testimony of these churches that leaders desired transparency. They wanted to lead. They wanted to be followed. And all those that followed them were being trained to be leaders also. And you can't lead without being fully transparent and fully known. Now that's not the leadership many of us grew up with. I understand that. Many of you know I don't appreciate tight pastors being called God's man for a church or the man of God for a church. I, I despise anything that places a pastor teacher on a pedestal among sheep. Okay. That pedestal placement has led to non-transparency for too long. A shepherd doesn't lead from behind. He doesn't lead from in front. He leads from among. He wants to be known. He wants to know. He has nothing to hide. And he's really no different than any other sheep. First Peter 4 tells us that, doesn't it? Every spiritual gift is given by the manifold grace of God. If you have the gift of mercy... There's nothing more or less prestigious about you than someone gifted with pastor teacher or teacher. Both are sourced in the manifold grace of God. So any good thing that any Christian can do is God's fault. <laughs> it's all God. If I could preach three feet lower, and I wasn't six foot five, right? And I wasn't standing behind this big, huge, ominous box, I would do it. If I could preach seated next to my wife, looking forward with a microphone where you didn't have to look at me at all, you'd be benefited. 
the focus would exclusively be on the content of the Word of God. Any leader desires to know and to be fully known and has nothing to hide. Leaders that have lost your respect in the past in relationship to sharing resources and then utilization resources unto mission most likely were people that were not fully known and didn't desire to fully know. Not these folks in this context. Let's read about them. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 16. But thanks be to God. I always love when Paul starts like that because everything good in this text is going to be sourced in him, in the Lord. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. Here's character number one. And I'm going to make him character number two because we're going to talk a little bit about Paul as character number one in this context. But For he, Titus, not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he has gone out to you of his own accord. We have sent along with him another brother. This is the first of two unnamed men. And look how he's described. Whose fame in the things of the gospel, or literally, whose fame in the gospel. That's what the text says. We're going to give a transliterated, a translated full um, reading of the second half of this verse. But nonetheless, his fame has spread through all the churches. And not only this, but this famous one, he has also been appointed by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work which is being administered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our readiness. So the Lord bookends this first section as these first two men are described. But thanks be to God who's worked in the heart of Titus and this man of fame gospel fame is ministering under the glory of the Lord himself. Verse 20 and 21 is, was, is, a, is a design parenthesis in this context. We're not going to spend a lot of time because the, the wording is pretty self-explanatory. It's a parenthesis in the description of these men because this gift this, this gathering of this, this collection was an immense, was of immense financial value. It had been quite a long time of gathering this gift, of letting this gift sit in one place for a while until they moved on to the next place to gather more. And then it would sit again. So this, this collection as it was gradually given had to be guarded there had to be accountability built in among these trusted people, these transparent trusted people. Accountability on every level. Safety from those who are on the outside who would want to maybe rob them if they got wind of all that they were carrying around, right? This is like an ecclesiastical Brinks truck. In this culture that didn't have police forces like we do today, Word would have gotten out that they were what their mission was and why. I mean, they were 
They were carrying a large, large, large sum of money. And so it's Paul's intention to talk about, in this parenthesis, the character and the integrity and the precautions and the accountability that was all involved among these men who wanted to be known and wanted to be fully known. Wanted to know and be fully known. So he says here, taking precaution so that no one will discredit us in our administration of this, that word generous, to this really, really large gift. For we have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, that's the third time God is mentioned here, but also in the sight of men. He quotes, I believe it's Proverbs 3, 4 here. He's not directly quoting, he's certainly alluding to it. It's always the desire of every Christian who's walking with God to honor God and to be considered honorable among men. And again, those who are honoring God and honorable among men are typically leaders who want to be fully known and to fully know people. Leaders that have absolutely nothing to hide. Leaders who have open door policies. Open text policies. Open call policies. We'll talk about those two verses in a little bit, but let's go on here in verse 22 to this third man. We have sent with them our brother, whom we have often tested and found diligent in many things but now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. Verse 23 is a conclusion or a summary of really all three men, Titus and these two anonymous leaders. As for Titus, he is my partner. And by the way, Paul doesn't call another Bible character that ministered with him his partner. There's some kind of bond. Now, he calls Timothy a son in the faith. Uh, can't get more intimate than he was with Timothy as he describes his relationship with Timothy in Philippians chapter 2. But he calls Titus here a partner. Um, for reasons we'll describe as we go along. And fellow worker among you. He calls a lot of people fellow workers with him, but none partners. As for our brethren, they are messengers of the churches. The brethren there are the two men that remain anonymous, and they are, they are apostles of the churches. They are, they are carrying a special message in this generous gift. And that message is, stay on mission. And we're going to know that that's their message by how they're described in the scriptures here. This morning, stay on gospel mission, Jerusalem. We're bringing this general gift to take care of your needs so that you can continue to exist for the very reason you started, which was the spread of the gospel. Go into all the world and preach. You shall be my witnesses first in where? Jerusalem. That's where it all began. This gift is for you to take care of your needs for gospel purposes. Because none of these churches exist without the existence of Jerusalem. And they're staying on mission. They are messengers of the churches to the glory 
of Christ, a glory to Christ. So a fourth mention of the person of the Godhead in a few short verses. So all of us know that if, the, if God's guiding our hearts as leaders, we will be transparent. We will want to know and we will want to be fully known because it's that important. The sharing of God's resources unto God's mission. And verse 24 is really a conclusion of the whole section that began here in verse 16. Therefore, openly, before the churches, show them the proof of your love. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. As these men come to you, two of them directly from Macedonian churches, and they're carrying with them, right, this generous offering, and they come to you. He's saying openly before these churches that they represent, show them the proof of your love. And our reason for boasting about you. We'll conclude there this morning. Let's briefly highlight a few things about Paul. Paul's the initiator of this whole thing. Do you understand that? He's the initiator of the whole thing. He participated in the collection personally. Scripture supports that. He orchestrated the collection. And what did he do after he initiated, participated in, and orchestrated it? He stepped aside and entrusted God's people to carry it out. He knew there would be plenty of his own countrymen that would not fully trust him back in Jerusalem. What kind of a reputation did Paul have in Jerusalem before he got saved? Think about how conscientious he's being here. Only the Holy Spirit can develop that type of conscientiousness. But because he's a guy that's on mission, he's willing to collect all this money from all of these Gentile churches. As a born-again Jew, get it moving, step aside, let these men, Titus and these two anonymous men, carry it on because he doesn't want to be any thread of offense to the Jews who would be receiving this gift back in Jerusalem, his own countrymen. Just in case there was someone that in that flock was still struggling with them. Think about this. He's not too far removed from being unsaved and being a, a beater and a murderer of believers. I mean, think there, there could be, you know, Mrs. Sally Smith, right, who was 16 when Paul murdered her dad for the gospel's sake. Probably for, for religion's sake. And Sally Smith could now be married with a couple kids and really believe that Paul's saved but still struggling with every time she sees him. That's the guy that lopped my dad's head off. I mean, I would struggle with that, wouldn't you? So think about Paul. He knows that. He's just a guy. But that's what I respect about him here. And he's really, by writing this text to Corinth, being incredibly transparent. <laughs> you want to really know me? You want to really know what makes me tick? I'm willing to step aside from this whole thing and taking credit for any of it, participate in it, step aside, because I don't want anyone back there to receive this gift and by my presence there be taken off mission. Because the whole thing's about the mission. Jesus must increase and I must decrease. 
That's why I start with Paul here, but the text goes on to leader number two, and really this is the, this is the lover. This is Titus, right? This is the lover of people. He's the second chair lover of people in this situation. And what a great second chair leader this Titus fellow is. We've seen him a lot in this letter already. Clear back to chapter number two. Really, this whole Corinthian recovery spiritually and practically doesn't happen without the influence of this Titus guy. He's a gospel-driven leader to be sure. If you go back to chapter 2, we won't stay there long. We've already preached on it. In verse 12, Now when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened for me in the Lord, I had no rest of my spirit. Remember that? Not finding Titus, my brother. But taking my leave of them, I went on into Macedonia, and that's where he found Titus. Remember, Paul was in tremendous distress of soul because he was waiting to hear how Corinth had responded to his very difficult letter to them, and Titus carried that response. And Titus wanted to be an encourager of Paul so the gospel message could go forward. And Paul searched him until he found Titus, and Titus could be that encouragement to Paul. So Paul could stay on mission. As the text said, we've already read, God put some earnestness in Titus's heart for Corinth. Go back on your own time, we've already read it, and underline every time that word earnest or forms of it is used just in this short passage. There is a spiritual passion that is developed among leaders, and I would say God's people too, for sharing resources for the gospel advancement of other churches. Now again, most pastors, when they got here, they would start pounding the pulpit about why you should share with Grace Church of Mentor for its gospel purposes, and we don't have to cover that ground anymore, right? Amen. That's an automatic slam dunk, if you will, earnestness that God puts in the heart of everyone walking with him. They just do that. That's the easy part. But God even puts an earnestness, underline it every time it's used, in the hearts of God's people to help other churches with their gospel endeavors as they function together in like-minded doctrine. And he does this with this second chair leader. Remember, Paul now still is orchestrating, but he's stepping back. And Titus, his second chair leader, kind of becomes a first chair leader here in the final collection and the distribution of this Offering to Jerusalem after a stop at Corinth. Okay. Anytime you see a believer seated next to you, in front of you, behind you, or anytime you see a pastor, passionate, passionate about collecting anything for anyone, the only way to tell if that passion, and please write this down, the only way to tell if that passion is an earnestness God put in their heart is if their passion's ultimate goal 
is for that person or that church to stay on gospel mission. So many believers for so many years were all about special interest giving. Well, I'm going to give for this line item in the budget because I want to have a kitchen that runs well. Nothing wrong with that. I'm going to give to this line in the budget because I always want to make sure that the grounds are landscaped well. I'm going to give to this. I'm going to give to this. I'm going to give to this. I'm not going to share my resources to the whole of the church because I don't really trust where it's going, so at least I can control what I can control, and I'm going to write out my check to give to this part of the church because at least I know I can let that do well. That's special interest giving. We don't even have to talk about that because the Bible really doesn't even talk about that. All it talks about is what it talks about. Everyone was giving of resources to their church because their church was on gospel mission. And the earnestness that God puts in Titus's heart that was also mentioned of these other men in this was for the same reason. Is it on gospel message, mission? Right? That's why I always ask you this question. What's your why? Why do you want to do that? Why do you want to give there? I ask myself that question. What's my why? My why always has to be gospel driven. My why always has to be spiritual reproductivity. Well, I want to provide a meal for Nick and Carrie Bear right now because they're in desperate need of it. You guys are doing a great job with that. This is a kind of a story of how my, my mind thinks. And why would I want to give a meal to Nick and Carrie Bear? To keep them on mission. Sure, their needs need to be taken care of, right? But I know their heart. Their hearts want to stay on mission. Now we do this for other churches. This is the earnestness that God has put into Titus's heart. And he ran interference for Paul among the churches as Paul had stepped back. It says here he accepted their appeal. He's done so with determination and endurance. You know, leaders at Grace, I, I have to stop here for a moment and say I find you increasingly to be like Titus in your leadership capacity. And that's a great honor to shepherd leaders who are like Titus. As I watch you be burdened by God for gospel purposes, not only here, but in a network of like-minded churches across the country. You might be considered in our culture a second chair leader in a local church but you are first cheerleaders when it comes to staying on mission and helping other churches stay on mission. That's what Titus was doing. And that's what leaders do. And these other two unnamed guys will find out the same thing. You're all for networking with other like-minded churches for the gospel's sake. And you give towards those efforts. And you give of yourself towards those efforts as well. You're really... Elders and deacons, increasingly I'm finding you pouring out your lives like a drink offering, as Paul describes himself in the pastorals. He's for the gospel's sake. Leaders that have that type of mindset will have 
members of a church mimic that mindset and then that church knows what it really is to have the Holy Spirit work through them unto great gospel progress so thank you leaders for increasingly allowing God to place this earnestness in you and then to live it out we'll do our best to continue to guide you in that way leader number three verses 18 and 19 we've already read about this guy I call him really if Paul's the initiator and Titus is the is the lover really the second chair leader lover this guy's really a gospel compass <laughs> he's the guy that really is been appointed remember the text said he's the guy that all the churches were confident to appoint him to this group of people traveling to collect this and really while all these guys were essential apparently this guy by what the text says was the guy that reminded all the churches why this gift was really being gathered and distributed anyway his name really would have been the way Paul explained him He's left unnamed, but if he was known this well among the churches, his proper name didn't need to be known because he became known as the gospel guy. I mean, if he had a name, he's the gospel guy. I remember when uh, Pat Baddig's sweet husband was still with us. Boy, that guy could bake. He could cook. Right? And in my house, you know, he, he, he became the baker guy from church. He'd show up at my house with this delicious, my stars. I don't even know if you have his recipes anymore, Pat. He'd just show up at our house, and to my kids, he became the, the baker guy. Um, I remember there's another man in our church, uh, now home with the Lord. His wife uh, recently passed. And my kids, he would always show up at our door. Uh, there was this place over in East Lake somewhere that just made huge pizza pies. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not kidding. They're, they're this big around. I don't even know if that place exists anymore. Right? And he would just show up unannounced. You know, sometimes we'd be sitting down eating dinner. And he'd knock on our door and he'd bring more dinner. It was just this huge pizza pie. And he would just say two things, right? I'm praying for your kids. And I know they like to eat. That's all he would say. <laughs> and bless his heart, Bill Cadence would just give the pizza and he'd walk back to his car. Didn't want a conversation. He's just a lover of people. He became the pizza guy, the pizza prayer guy in our family. I don't know who this guy was in his proper name, but apparently all the churches knew him well. And they knew him well enough to know that he wanted to be known more for the gospel than his own proper name. This is the gospel guy. He's a brother of fame. Literally translated, the second half of the statement would read, the brother whose praise in the gospel is among all the churches. Notice how he's absent from the whole phrase. The fame is gospel fame. 
the gospel is known among the churches. He's not called a gospel preacher in the context. Although one translation translates it that way, I don't think that's fully accurate. He's not even called a gospel teacher. Another translation calls him that. Another one, another translation calls him a gospel servant. Those are all uh, what translators do. When they do that, it doesn't divorce the truth out of the context. But literally, it's the brother whose praise in the gospel is among the churches. He was just a gospel guy. And that's all he wanted to be known for, apparently. The passage tells us a number of churches officially appointed him to be part of the travel group that was collecting the collection. Regardless, he's a second individual that exemplifies how grace can operate in the heart of any church believer unto greater gospel purpose. This fellow, as a non-ministerial professional, was just simply always about gospel efforts in his own church and apparently in the churches that appointed him. Possibly he was a man of means which allowed him to do so. I personally believe that's what he was. A man of means who didn't need to be a first chair guy, but wanted to use all that God had blessed him with for gospel mission. He certainly had other talents, probably other spiritual gifts, but he certainly had the gift of evangelism. I would confidently say that. He became famous among the churches because he fanned the flame of that gift that God had given him by God's manifold grace. And I admire him. I admire him for sure because many times when a very high degree of any particular spiritual gift is given by the manifold grace of God to any one person, their greatest strength can become their greatest weakness. And this man was determined to stay spirit-governed. He was determined to be known and to fully know, nothing to hide. And the churches were able to keep him on mission as he lived this gospel example. And you know, when you have the gift of evangelism, it comes along with some special pain. Those of you that have that spiritual gift understand what we're talking about. It includes the deep pain of rejection and heartbreak. It includes a lot of expectation at the same time, and those expectations are rarely met. Yet here, this man's a third chair leader, if you will, in this whole project, and he's quite humble about it. He's remained spirit-governed, so the gospel remains the focus and not his ability, the practice of his gift, which is really all about the gospel anyway. Regardless, he's a spiritual compass for all of us. We share what is God's and to God's gospel purpose. Often we're tempted off gospel course, especially in a land of plenty and a land of unparalleled opportunity. This man just helps us stay on course. 
if due north on his compass was to have a title, it would have the title gospel. And this man, by the grace of God and the help of God's people, was able to stay due north, to constantly make progress. Remember, these were Gentile churches collecting an offering for a church full of born-again Jews. From day one of the Jerusalem Jerusalem church's existence, there were cultural tensions between the two people groups, Jews and Gentiles, that had been made one in Christ. Paul gives a whole chapter in Ephesians chapter 2 about describing some of those tensions, not only in the Jerusalem church, but in the church of Ephesus. And this man, who's a gospel guy, was able to stay on mission because he didn't have any identity crises. He didn't see Jew and Gentile. He saw Christian. He didn't see wealthy or poor. He saw saint. He didn't see educated or uneducated. He saw sinners saved by grace. That's what gospel guys do. They don't have identity issues. Everything they do is for eternal value and eternal purpose. Leader number four, I call this guy the reconciler. The reconciler. For we sent with him our brother. Term of endearment here that's lets us know that here's another guy that wanted to be fully known and fully know people. This guy was often tested. He was found diligent in many things. My understanding is that he always persevered well through very, very difficult times in his life. Even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. This tells us that the Corinthian people probably knew this guy best compared to the other churches involved in this collection. So Paul finishes here with a man that the Corinthians would have known about the most. So see how Paul's covering all of his bases, all of his, all of his, uh, (laughs) he's really covering his whole conscience in relationship to appealing to the Corinthian church to get involved with this offering for the Jerusalem church. Again, he's unnamed, but there's no need for a name to be given. When a name is not given in a situation like this, one reason is just to allow the spiritual virtue of grace to be put on the pedestal that caused him to persevere through many trials. Another reason to remain nameless is to demonstrate that a spirit-filled person really doesn't want to be remembered for what they've done in Christ. They want Christ to be remembered. So this humble leader was very intentional. He was very relational. The Corinthians at one time were in trouble. This man would have known that. He was gracious to love them through the trouble. Though he was not from their church, he was willing to be used from another church to go and help them back to fellowship and now on to eternal purpose. Yes, he was that guy who was the reconciler. He was most likely a mediator between Paul and Corinth, maybe even between Titus and Corinth. And he was known as a brother who had often been tested. The Corinthians would have been able to trust him because they would have been familiar with the troubles that he went through. This could have been the loss of a wife. This could have been the loss of a firstborn son. This could have been enduring through a terminal illness. 
The text is not specific. But the text, I, does, I think, does bear forth the truth that his testing wasn't coming through the trials that he endured while he was around collecting the gift. They were his own personal tests. And he had a good testimony of being known as that guy. And even though he was enduring great personal tests, he was still able to rise above that and by grace stay on mission himself and help keep Corinth on mission. Amazing, isn't it? You know, I go and visit the Coakleys and I go and visit the Bears and I go and visit different people throughout our flock. I'm going to commend you as I commended our leaders earlier. You folks that I've just mentioned are very much like this unnamed leader. You've been tested often, and yet most of what I hear from your lips when I speak to you or visit you in person is always about who you're going to witness to or how this opportunity is going to give you an op- a light, a open door for the gospel or how is so-and-so at church and they're hurting or how is this church doing that's in the arts network that we're trying to encourage All these people that are going through their own personal tests are compelled by grace to not focus on their test. I visited one of these, both these people last week, two of them I mentioned, and I had to bring both conversations back to them. I mean, God's grace was just launching their speech into others for gospel purposes. I was like, I, how are you doing? How can I help you? <laughs> oh, pastor, just pray for my kids. Pastor, how's so-and-so in the church? Pastor, how's church so-and-so in Indiana? Pastor, how's church... Only God's grace does that. So someone who's not like that, I want to investigate how God's grace is developing them because I'm assuming it is. It is. But these people, people like this, they're just always focused on gospel progress. We heard a lot about that in the testimony in Jack Lego's funeral on Friday too, didn't we? Humbly functioning in relationship building and restoring because his eye is always on mission. Then there's that pause in verse 20 and 21 that we already read. It's a pause that's pretty self-explanatory. Layers of accountability and integrity. You're seeing these in the lives and character of these people. right? But this third guy, right? this third guy's a brother is often tested. And then there's that concluding statement in verse 23 of these men together. Partner, fellow worker, brethren, messengers of the churches, all to that glory of Christ, all to the mission. And the conclusion is simply, therefore, Corinthian people, openly before all the churches that they have come from and the churches in Macedonia that they represent, Since I know you're saved, since I know you're growing, I am going to now assume 
that you do have a collection to load up in their Brinks wagon so they can take it to Jerusalem. Show them the proof of your love. And the love is towards God and then towards man. And there will be proof if the love is towards God, there will be proof of that love towards man. Prove it to them. Because all Paul's been doing is bragging about them. And how much they've been doing good because they received the word. A tough time and they changed. I know these Corinthian people are going to do this. Now he's coming full circle. They're about to knock on your door. You won't hear their wagon approaching. And just have it ready. Just have it ready. I've got to finish, but I've got to, I, There's nothing wrong, friends. There's nothing wrong with being an example church about this. If, if, if the example church is a church that's on mission. The Macedonian churches are the example church. These two unnamed people, I believe, came from those churches. Titus is named. Paul's involved. We're not going to reverend all that. But apparently, this discussion is okay having, and it needs to be had. Because the people that call themselves part of the local church of Jesus Christ need to be strong enough, collectively, to have a strong enough gospel environment in their own local church where caring for themselves is just second nature first nature so the second nature can be caring for other churches and their gospel purpose i got to develop this more i'll be honest with you like i told you that's why i'm going so slow i'm still figuring this out somehow with no strings attached grace church of men are if we're spiritually healthy and everyone is joyfully sacrificially sharing here which should be the slam dunk right somehow somehow it's god's will that we help other churches stay on mission without getting in their business. That's all the text is saying. Well, we got to be healthy enough to do that. So what are you doing? And why are you doing it? Right? Does your gospel vision die with your country? If it does, you have no gospel. If you're going to wait to get on mission until the United States shapes up in the way you think it should shape up, you're never going to be on mission because she ain't going to do it. 2 Timothy 3 tells me that. What do you live for? What are you pounding the table for? Do you see anything in the description of these four men that's national? I love my country. I love where I'm at. I think it's the greatest country that's ever been. But 2 Timothy 3 tells me something about any country. And this text tells me that I am a citizen of another country first. And that country is going to be full of redeemed citizens. 
not by the Constitution of the United States, but by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you on mission? Yes, we are. That's why Grace Church can help other churches. Only increase more and more. Stay on gospel mission. Stay on gospel mission. I would love for Jesus to return and find Grace Church of Mentor, an example church of helping thousands of churches take care of their needs so they can stay on mission. Right? I'd love to see that. But you've got to figure out what your mission is. For God's people, it's got to be singular. Right? It's Christ's mission. He came not to be served, but to serve by giving his life a ransom for many. And he accomplished it pretty completely, didn't he? Right? I trust we can do the same thing as well. Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you so much for this opportunity to to just look at the examples of these men and of how they wanted to be defined, not even by their own proper name. The Holy Spirit didn't even feel their name being mentioned was necessary. But really the spiritual virtue to be exalted, the spiritual purpose to be exalted. Help us, Lord, to just continue to learn through this text. Help me to continue to learn from it. So much I've got to learn, Lord. And as a church, help us to learn it together. So we stand before the Lord individually. We can hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And we truly understand what servant was for and unto. In Christ's name we pray.